Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with Telegraph and Nat West. I'm Brian Moore and joining the show today are Scotland's assistant coach Mike Blair, former Ireland hooker Shane Byrne, former Welsh winger Shane Williams and Italian head coach Connor O'Shea. Plus we've got the World Cup winner Claire Purdy who will take us through the Women's Six Nations. But first I'm joined here in the studio by the former England fly half and Treble Grand Slam winner, Rob Andrew. Rob, hello, how are you? Hi, Brian, I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Unlike a lot of players, I might say, before each particular section, I'm going to read out the injury list for the relative sides because I think it's right to contextualise this particular Six Nations, which I'm not sure. There are always injuries before the Six Nations and quite a lot of them. This year, there seemed to be an unusual amount and they seem to be spread across all the teams. I mean, for example, England's injury list, Chris Robshaw, uh, Ben Obano, Charlie Yules, Jack Noel, Matt Mullen, Piers Francis, Will Spencer, Henry Slade, Nathan Hughes, Alice Genge, Carl Sinclair, Billy Vinopola, Elliot Daly, Tom Curry, Sir Macy Rockadunguni. Um, England do have great depth, but there are some significant ones there. The Billy Vinopola one in particular, given also that... Uh, Nathan Hughes is down as a an experienced replacement. How badly affected do you think England will be by this injury crisis? And also, you know, Marla not being there because he got sent off again. Yeah, look, I, I think it's um, I think it's a big issue for the whole tournament, which I no doubt tonight's program will probably be dominated by this. Um, and I think it's I think it is disappointing, disappointing for the tournament because you want all of the best players to be playing in the, in this showpiece competition. Uh, you know, we, we've had the issue about injuries year on year um, and it is becoming a real a real problem. I think from England's perspective, the strength in depth is so great that they will they will be able to overcome it. We saw that in Argentina last summer when they had all the players on the Lions tour and they actually played really well in Argentina. Um, they came back in the autumn, probably didn't really fire in the autumn but then we, you know and I think that's the other thing about this year's Six Nations is um, who picks up the reins 
quickest after a Lions tour because mm-hmm. the Lions tour after Six Nations players do look and the English clubs in Europe have, have looked jaded mm-hmm. to be honest and, and hopefully with England the Six Nations they can get off to a start in Italy and, and build through the tournament Well England are going for their third title in a row no side has managed to do that in the Six Nations so history is against them there and whilst I accept what you say in terms of depth and so on in in two particular areas, England are not far away from having a genuine crisis because, uh, Lewis said, they've got Mako Vinopola, but as I said, Marla's unavailable. Uh, injuries to Genge and uh, Matt Mullen, you're down to you know, uh, around fifth choice that Lewis said. And you simply cannot afford in big games now to be under pressure in the scrum. So that's one particular concern. And also the back row with two of the established number eights out, whoever they pick uh, to come in in whatever combination is not the first choice. And yet again, uh, England are going to be going into a tournament with a back row balance, which is at best questionable. Yeah, and and they probably still haven't got the back row um, sorted out yet. And I think Chris Robshaw will be a big miss if he's he's missing. Probably lucky that they're playing Italy first um, because probably one of the... You know, in in many ways, one of well, England have got two really tough away games. If we put Italy aside, no disrespect to Italy, but Scotland away, um, and then France away. Um, given goodness knows what the French team will put up with, but they've got some very talented players, and and their front five will be strong. And if England's front five is is creaking through the tournament, then that that may spread through the rest of the team, and it may be the thing. Um, plus, if Billy's missing, you know, Billy's a key. Billy Vanapola is absolutely key to this team. If England don't get on the front foot, which they haven't done at certain times and they didn't particularly in the autumn, then they actually don't look such a dangerous side. And one of the things, I think this is a historic thing, and I don't know why it is, but England have not necessarily been good starters in tournaments. It's taken them some time. I think because they're playing Italy, and again, no disrespect. Italy, but Italy have never beaten England. Um, they may have an opportunity to play themselves in, but in other games, they will not have the luxury of being able to have a bad first 20 minutes. No, but on the other hand, and that is absolutely true, and they, sh- they certainly shouldn't lose to Italy. That would be the story of, uh, of the Six Nations right from the off, wouldn't it? And Connor would certainly be uh, chirping if he got him back on the programme. Um, but... Um, no, they shouldn't lose in Italy. Although the England have had some close shaves in Italy, if they don't if they don't start well, um, but then they've got um, they've got a home game against Wales, and, and and obviously Wales are depleted, badly depleted, probably the most depleted of the sides in terms of their big players missing. Um, then obviously France away, uh, no uh, Scotland away, I think is the next one, which will be tough, and then France away, and then Ireland at home. So. The, the fixtures sort of work quite nicely if they can build into some momentum. Many people's favourites for the title, if not a Grand Slam, are Ireland. And I'm pleased to say we can now speak to the former Irish hooker, Shane Byrne. Hello, Shane. Hey, Brian. How are you doing, man? Uh, the injury list, which I'm going to read out. I'm reading all the team's injury lists out. Sean <laughs> O'Brien, Gary Ringrose, Jimmy Heaslip, Finley Billum, Rhys Rook, Tommy O'Donnell, Luke Marshall, Jared Payne and Niall Scannell. And yet, many people are saying that Ireland's injury list is not as significant as uh, some other countries. Well, I suppose the way it's going for Irish rugby recently, Leinster, I suppose, 
blazing a trail there is that the squad depth is immense. Joe Schmidt has, has put a lot of work into making sure that a lot of the youngsters have got a lot of experience in that green jersey. And as it knocks on, you've very few guys who haven't played for Ireland at some point or another. And all the form is excellent. So without getting too carried away, I think regardless of the, the favourite tags, right, and I, I don't know whether that should sit with Ireland, but I would definitely think that Ireland have the best squad fit at the mm-hmm. moment. How much can we read into the form of the two uh, principal provinces uh, from Ireland, Leinster and Munster in the uh, Champions Cup? Oh, well, listen, Irish rugby has been led by the provinces for a long time, since the 90s. Any resurgence that we had, like the international rugby was absolutely dire in Ireland all the way through the 90s. And then Munster started to keep, get it going. Leinster picked up the, the baton then. And they've always been the two provinces really, there's been a little bit from Connacht and Ulster, but they've really been the two to spear it on. So the competition for places predominantly comes down to those two provinces as well. And um, thankfully for Joe, there's many a headache in selection for this. And the form that they've had in Europe bodes very well. Now, we all know it it always doesn't translate just as simply as that. But it is, it's a great sign that Irish rugby is in, in good shape at the moment. It's a tricky fixture, France, away for the first one. Quite simply because, I know it's a cliche, but like most cliches, there's a large element of truth in it. And you know what I'm going to say. But yeah. how you know how will France fare first out, possibly with a 19-year-old fly-half and you know, a huge team in terms of power, uh, not so yeah. much in terms of creativity, but... What sort of game do you think it's going to be? Absolutely no clue. <laughs> and, uh, I, think, I think that that's, that's part of it, is that it has become a cliche last 10 years since the, the top 14 has become so deluded with foreign players that the traditional French game has disappeared. Le Rochelle are trying to revive it, I suppose, to a certain degree. But between that and the fact that there's a new coach, Jacques Burnell, coming in, Honestly, you've no idea what they're going to do. I would say definitely they will have a 19 year old out half by the looks of things. Even today, there's more injuries announced and there's uh, guys getting sick. So there's going to be for Joe Schmidt, the big problem is, and like Joe Schmidt prides himself on the simple fact that he leaves absolutely no stone unturned when it comes to analysis, that there's going to be no surprises there. But this is one time he's not going to be able to do that. He's going to just have to rely on the processes that his team are going to do and just their execution because he has no idea what he's going to meet with his French side. It's true to say, I think, that you can't see any real weaknesses in the Ireland team, but which areas of particular strength do you think they should look to feature against the French? Well, you know as well as I do, if you're going to beat the French, you have to take them on up front. And I think uh, Ireland's pack is well weathered at this stage. Uh, whether he goes for Healy or McGrath, Lou said best and Furlong completing the front row is a pretty mean front row and they've been performing very, very well throughout the November internationals. Sean O'Brien missing in the back row obviously is is a bit of a blow because look, he's Sean O'Brien. If he's missing off any time he'd be, or any team, he'd be a loss. But there's still plenty of young lads, uh, Van der Fleer, Dan Levy, all these guys ready and chomping at the bit. But I think Ireland's strength ultimately is still is uh, Conor Murray and Jonathan Sexton mm-hmm. on their day. 
I think are still there, thereabouts to be best in the world. Or if not, they're very bloody close to it. Conor Murray in particular has continued his vein on from the Lions and right the way through the months of season, November Internationals has just been absolutely on fire, playing fantastic rugby. Do you think Sexton will sit back in the pocket early on to give Ireland the territory and the position to put the French under pressure and then look to move the ball wide or uh, will he have licence from Joe Schmidt just to play exactly what he sees? Yeah, well, I think he does that anyway because I don't, I don't think Sexton really takes instruction off too many people anyway. But I think, no, I think you're probably right. It would be a bit of sit back and putting the ball up in the air, peppering the French, seeing how they deal with the high ball and putting them under pressure, receiving it, see if they can get any structures together. But this Irish backline now has plenty of ability to take the ball going forward. I can't see him not using that early enough, giving it a, a few runs. Like we have you know, Keith Earls, who is probably in the form of his life, supposed to be in the twilight of his career, and he's absolutely playing incredible stuff at the moment. He has to get to start. Whether he goes for Stockdale or Conway or the other wing, and Rob Carney is probably going to make full back, even though we have this amazing kid, Larmer, coming up for Leinster, mm. who has just absolutely exploded onto the scene. But I think it's just a little too early for him. But either way, that, that back line, I think, is, is full of attacking ability. And the one thing I suppose that's great with Jonathan Sexton is he reads the game and he releases the backs or whatever decision he makes. They're usually the right decision at the right time. So I would expect good variation to start the game with. Any concerns about the ball carrying you know, with the back row with O'Brien and Hesip who are too conspicuous uh, go forward? Ben, any, any concerns about being able to get on the front foot from the back row? Yeah, I, I suppose there is. A, there, there's a question there in the sense that like CJ Stander was obviously a huge carrier for the last season or two. And um, it just looks like international teams are, are starting to figure him out, you know, chop him down before he can get up any momentum at all. O'Mahony, as we know, master technician at the line-out, rumbling ball carrying is not his thing. So that's one of the things where they go for seven is that, you know, Van der Flair is a thoroughbred seven. I would pick him, I would always go with a thoroughbred seven, given the choice. Mm. But Dan Levy is another guy who plays seven and in the Irish tradition of creating these six and a halves who are dynamite ball carriers, but also can play at that role at seven as poaching and hungry on the ball. But you've also got, you know, he, they could change again. And Jack Conan, who's a, the Leinster number eight, who is a very, very strong ball carrier, would O'Mahony maybe lose out to something like that? I can't see that happening. But it is a fact that, yes, without Sean O'Brien there, it does leave a, something that is used very, very heavily by, by Ireland, that ball carrying ability that he has. Well, Shade, it might come down, and this is a very long way off yet, to an explosive final weekend. And if it does, and you're oh, at... Wouldn't it be great? It would be great. And if you're at Twickenham, I'll certainly buy you a pint. Yes, I, and I will definitely take you up on that. And don't forget about the Legends game the night before. Absolutely. In- I will mention that, and uh, we will promote it as heavily as we can just before it happens. Thank you, mate. Take care. Well, interesting to get uh, Shane Burns' point of view. Ireland are most people's favourites. There aren't any conspicuous weaknesses. If you were plotting their downfall, what would you look to do against them? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think they are one of the one of the strongest sides in in the tournament. Um, the only th- difference with Ireland for me is is that at Twickenham they're not the same proposition mm-hmm. as they are um, in in Dublin, and we all know we've all been on the receiving end of of games in Dublin, and I I was there last year in Dublin, and just it was like it was like Groundhog Day, um, you know, an England side that just never never got started, and, and Ireland just just strangle you in Dublin and they just never allow you to get going. They tend not to do that in quite the same way at Twickenham. So I think it means that that England can can actually get into their game, which is when England are on the front foot and that's where the ball-carrying ability and that's where they're getting the right forwards on the field. And if you've got... I mean, they will miss Billy enormously because I, I think Billy's probably the one player that going forward into the World Cup year is the one player that England can least afford to lose because he is the focal point of, of pretty much everything the forwards do in terms of getting on the front foot. If you get this England team on the front foot and you've got other ball carriers like Mako and they tag team and then Maro Itoji and carries, then all the other... It's easier for all the forwards to carry if they're on the front foot. Then you've got two scrum halves who can get into gaps... Then you put Ford and Farrell on the front foot, and England are a very dangerous side then with the pace out wide. Um, anybody that stops England getting that can make England look a bit ordinary. It's a bit of a toss-up. Depends, I suppose, on your loyalties as to which is the bigger fixture, France versus Ireland or Wales versus Scotland. I'm sure that our next guest will say the latter. Very pleased to say we can speak to the former Wales and British Lions winger Shane Williams. Hello, Shane. You're brilliant. George North fitness being assessed, but definitely out. Reese Webb, Dan Bigger, Reese Priestland, Tilupi Falatau, Liam Williams is a doubt, Jake Ball, Sam Warburton, Dan Lydiot, Jonathan Davis, Hallam Amos, and Ross Moriarty just returning. <laughs> well, yes, it's quite a long listen. Yet in the Champions Cup, the Welsh regions did significantly better than they've been doing uh, in previous years. Do you have the depth to take on a resurgent Scotland side with confidence? Um, I, I do think we have strength and depth in Wales. I don't think we're as blessed as, as England and Ireland where you know you can make changes and, and not make that much of a difference in the performance. Um, but I do think we do have good players and certainly to cover the injuries uh, we've just mentioned there. Um, you know, outside halves and scrum halves, we're quite, we're quite blessed in the fact that you know, the fact that Reese Webb is out, but we have players like Gareth Davis who's certainly been playing well for the Scarlets. Um, you know, we, we have Patcho who's been playing well for the Scarlets, be it as a full back, but is is a definite outside half also. Um there's often a VD and players that can slot into positions where we have a lot of injuries as well, but it's still a massive list of, of players that have been consistently playing well for Wales for some time and uh, it does worry me slightly. Well, one of your areas of expertise is obviously the front row and the and the the fact is that Wales do have fit players there and they've got significant depth. Scotland are suffering quite badly, so that's one area in which you can exploit. But your real area of expertise, the Scotland backs do look very sharp. Um, oh, if yeah. Wales can't get on the front foot, how confident are you that they'll cope with you know, the the the, the, the threats that, that Scotland pose nearly all across the back line now. Yeah, I think all of a sudden Scotland um, uh, uh, play with this, this width 
They play with a, you know, with a tempo and they put teams on the back foot straight away. You can see from breakdowns and rucks, they don't want to mess around there. They want the ball to the likes of Fussell and Hogg and these players nice and early so that they can create uh, gaps and mismatches in the centre of the field. And uh, they did it very well against New Zealand and done it particularly well against Australia and, and tore them apart. And, you know, it, 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 is, uh, it is a bit of a worry because the likes of Hogg and and, and Russell and these guys have been playing well consistently for some time now. Um, you know, for me though, I think you know, regardless of the injuries, we'll still have quite a potent attacking threat. You know, they have a number of, um, of of players in their back line that have been playing well for the Scarlets this year in particular, and they seem to be one of the best attacking sides in the Champions Cup so far. Um, so we we do have our options, um, but yeah, definitely a concern is uh, stopping the likes of Hogg. Uh, because you know we we all know how dangerous he's been, and he's, he's been a consistent player in the Six Nations for a number of seasons. So Wales do have their their work cut out, and but in saying that, they do have their own attacking threats behind. Shane, hi, it's Rob here. Um, hi, how, Rob. how are you doing? I'm just is it a bit of a tactical one as well? This for Wales to try and um, decide whether whether I mean clearly this is an opportunity for Wales in this tournament as well to. To try and expand the game, which which clearly Warren has been trying to do, and the, the Scarlets have been playing some outstanding rugby in, in the in the Champions Cup. Um, but so, is it a case of taking Scotland on at, at Scotland's game, and actually both sides going hammer and tongs at it, or is it a sort of tactical game that maybe Wales could get a bit of an edge, perhaps up front, which actually just slows the Scotland side down a bit? And I think that's where sides that take Scotland on in this tournament will want to dominate Scotland up front? Yeah, I think definitely you've got both teams that, that want to play the st- similar style of rugby, high tempo, get the ball away from the ruck early, get it to their danger uh, danger players behind. Um, so as far as Wales are concerned, they're going to want to stop Scotland up front. You know, they, they've they've got a very good um, Scarlet front row at the moment. They're playing particularly well with Rob Evans and, and Owens and, and, and Samson Lee that could potentially be the front row. And they've been going well uh, in scrums and 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 lineouts and so far this season. So you know, a tactic would be to to try and stop uh, Hog getting involved in the game, stop these players getting involved and getting on the front foot. However, in hindsight, I think the the style of rugby that suits Wales, especially with the caliber of players they have in the team, is exactly the same. Get the ball away from that break down nice and early. Play with high tempo. Play with width. And kind of stretch that Scottish defence because even though they are a very good side, they do they have started scoring tries and looking very dangerous. They do concede as well. So it, I think both tactics would be very similar. I know I know Townsend's done done, done some great work with Scotland in in getting that ball with uh, to play with width and stretch defences. And I think that's what Rob Howley's going to want to do as well because he he's got a, a choice of players uh, that have been playing exceptionally well for the Scarlets this year and the best style of rugby. That's be almost been playing the championship is the Scarlets because they move the ball around. They have forwards in the back line that are very comfortable to throw a 15-meter pass if they have to, and they've looked very dangerous. So I'd love to see Wales play that style of rugby also. Shane, a lot of people, especially fans, and I know social media isn't the be-all and end-all of public opinion, but they've been wanting Wales to make this change to a, a more expansive game. If it came down to maybe sacrificing absolute results or wins to making significant progress on those lines, do you think the Welsh public, would you accept progress uh, in the latter at expense of the former? 
Oh look, I think I think you know, as a nation we, we we've kind of hit a lull. We've we haven't played in to our potential for some time, and um, you know that it does seem to be a depression in Wales at the moment, especially with the fans that we want to see Wales play with tempo, uh, offloading the tackle, scoring tries, and looking dangerous. Uh, and I think we'd be happy as as Welsh people to see that happen again. Um, you know, as as for the results, you know, if 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 Wales will win the Six Nations this year, but they, they put up a good show. They look dangerous. They look like they have intent. And they look like they've moved forward from the last 12, 18 months, especially from the autumn series. And I think a lot of people will be very happy. Of course, Warren Gatlin will, will say the latter. He he wants results. Uh, he wants to you know get a lot of momentum going to the World Cup, which is just around the corner. Um, and, you know, Warren being Warren would take a 3-0 win. But the Welsh public wouldn't. I can assure you that. So it's, it's a, bit of, a bit of both, really. But... Look, we we we've seen the Scarlets do it. We've seen Ospreys do it at times, especially last season. You know, we can play some really good rugby. We've got the caliber of players. Uh, let's go out there and do it. Well, we won't have long to wait. Uh, a tantalising opener. Shane, come back and speak to us uh, later on in the tournament. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Cheers, Rob. Shane gave a little bit away there in the sense of, yeah, it would be acceptable actually to sacrifice maybe a, a title or you know. Um, a shot at a title to develop their rugby. But tell you what, I can't help thinking, when you've got a side against you, when you know that both front rows have gone down and they're down to, you know, with the best will in the world, players who they wouldn't have picked even on the bench up front, isn't the temptation just to say, right, especially first one, because we all know you cannot afford to lose your first game in the Six Nations because it puts you on such a negative note and it's disproportionately disruptive. Wouldn't the temptation to say, let's just keep this? Let's get there. First one, let's screw them up front. Let's drive the ball at them and give them a hard time. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that's the, that's the conundrum that they're going to be faced because Shane's right. Wales do want to move their game and in a way they've got the perfect excuse to try and move it on because if, if they don't win the Six Nations this year they can say well look we've got the whole Lions team that aren't playing mm-hmm. so we can try and expand our game which and I think they have tried to do that and they've, and they've got Scarlet's playing well but this is where the tactical nous comes in and, and instead of just playing something almost for the sake of it um, how can Wales beat Scotland? Well I, the teams that will beat Scotland will strangle them up front this year Samoa I think scored two pushover tries driving tries against them in the autumn. So that that's the dilemma they'll have. They'll definitely probably have the better of Scotland up front. But but will they get caught up in, in playing the same game as Scotland, trying to, to play that game, which probably play into the Scots' hands? Well, we just had the Welsh perspective from Shane Williams, and I'm very pleased to say we can now get a Scottish perspective from Mike Blair, the Scotland assistant coach. Now, Scotland's injury list is also extensive. Richie Gray has been added, but it also includes Ross Ford, Fraser Brown, Xander Ferguson, WP Nell, Daryl Marfo, Allendale and Al Dickinson. And significantly, a lot of those are in the front row. Mike, the temptation, Rob and I were saying, for any side that plays Scotland, looking at the injuries you've got, is to say, right, whatever game we were going to play, we're not going to do that now. We're going to play fairly attritional rugby. We're going to kick the lines, get the territory, and let's see what they can do in the set piece. How are you going to address that if that does happen? 
Yeah, I think it's probably a fair assumption to make. Um, you know, we've played some some pretty attractive rugby, um, but I think teams will look to to hinder that and and, and change um, how we approach the game as well. Um, you know, we've we've still got um, you know plenty of uh, talented players within the squad who are, who are able to to deal with the the power game. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about how we can we can deal with things and still be able to impose our game on the opposition when they're trying to play in that way. Does that mean things? I mean, very specific things like quick or inventive lineouts in terms of numbers and so on. Does it mean you know the ball comes in immediately? The uh, front rows have contacted. Are you looking that specifically? Well, we've um, we've looked from the summer tour once uh, Greg Townsend came in as. As head coach to play a high tempo kind of game, that's uh, that's not a, a secret at all. But you know, we're also aware that, that during the Six Nations, uh, the way that opposition play, um, what the weather is going to be like, that's going to have a bearing, and what you're going to try and do as well. So um, it's not just one way of trying to play. We'll have specific tactics for for specific opposition that we're playing. I was going to call it a dilemma. It's not necessarily that because that denotes two bad choices, but. Uh, certainly a choice to be made at Scrum Half, Laidlow or Price? Yeah, I mean, um, Greg's obviously been injured for, for some time, um, but he's um, he's been very diligent about doing his, his rehab work and he's come back early. Uh, so he was he was originally going to be playing a little bit of time off the bench yesterday in the, the Claremont-Montpellier game, but he was actually able to get back a week earlier. So he played off the bench uh, the week previously and then he had 18 minutes for, for Claremont. Uh, yes, so that's obviously fantastic news for the squad. Um, Ali Price had a, a really good autumn series, and we've got Nathan Fowles and Henry Parks who are who are pushing hard as well. And um, I think the the good situation is is that we've we've got nine who are, are capable of playing um, in different ways and, and able to suit um, how we want to try and play the game. Mike, hi, it's Rob here. Um... Hi, Rob. Uh, you could certainly guarantee if Brian and I were playing against you that we'd be kicking the corners and, and putting the squeeze on. Um, but I think I think where Scotland have come, you know, you're in with a, you know, you've got a very very good shout this tournament. And does that add sort of extra pressure in a way that you know you're going down to Wales with all their injuries as as favourites? First game is very important as we know in the Six Nations. That that probably adds a little bit of extra pressure to the squad. I, I don't think we're favourites, are we? I'd, I'd, I'd be I'd be very surprised if we were going down there. No favourites for this game. Favourites to 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 win this game and get off to a good start. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's something that you don't look too too much into. You guys will know as as, as former players yourself that you know lots written in the in the media to to kind of crank things up and um, and increase kind of pressure going into games. We're aware that. Playing Wales in Cardiff, I don't think we've won there since 2000. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my whole career, I, I didn't get a win down there, um, so it's going to be a, a very hard thing to do. But um, you know, we do have a little bit of form behind us. But you know, Wales's last game that they played was was a win against South Africa, so so they'll have a, a certain amount of, of confidence as well. And uh, Warren Gatland's been speaking confidently about um, you know the chance that they've got in the championship. So we've we've just got to focus on on what we're trying to do, and you know the although it's over an eight-week week period, the, the time kind of disappears pretty quickly once the tournament gets started. So um, a good performance in, in Wales will, will give us some momentum uh, going into the, the championship. But certainly that focus is, is very much for that first game. But it must be, you know, when you look at your fixtures and, and you, you see um, 
what you've got coming up in rounds two and three up at Murrayfield. You know, you France at home, you always do pretty well against them. And then um, the big one against England, you'd be licking your lips if you're two from two going into that third game. Oh, it's, it's great to have um, a couple of games at home early on. Um, you know, it gives the, the crowd an opportunity to, to really get behind us. They're, you know, it's the, the best atmosphere I've ever experienced at, at Mario Field for those uh, those New Zealand and Australia games. And, and it's great to get those games fairly early on in, in the championship at home. So, you know, they'll they'll be buzzing for it. And, um, you know, we've got fond, fond memories of, of our last couple of games there. So, um, yeah, it'll be a great opportunity to get to get stuck into to France and England in those games. Along with the improved performances has come, probably rightly, a greater expectation from the Scottish public uh, in terms of not just performances, but what you should do in wins and losses. Is that welcome or is it a hindrance? Um, again, I don't know how much um, how much the players take note of that. We, we've got quite a, a laid-back group here. Um, and I think there doesn't seem to be too much um, going on in the minds with, with regards to that. I think we've got a group of, of young players who've, who've built up some experience now who, who are genuinely just looking forward to to getting the championship started and you know stop talking about what what might happen or what could happen and and get on there and put a, a really strong performance out in Cardiff. Mike, thank you very much for talking to us and the best of luck for the tournament. Thanks, Brian. Rob, in general, the Six Nations, whatever you say about the overall quality, and sometimes it's very good, sometimes it's not particularly good, the tournament invariably throws up a surprise result which means it is always interesting. If you're looking through the first just couple of rounds, if you had to choose one, what do you think might be the fixture that could you know, throw a particular spanner in the particular works? Well, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, at the moment to sort of know what is necessarily a surprise result because, mm. because you know, Scotland have closed the gap, Ireland are doing well, Wales have, have, you know, Wales have been pretty competitive recently, um, you know, you wouldn't put it past France to beat Ireland in the first game, would you? You know, that's just the sort of thing that, that they do. And now, on the face of it, that would be a surprise result for this tournament, the way that France have been. They've changed the first time they've ever sacked a coach between World Cups. Um, you know, typically French, but look at the quality of players that they've got. Well, let's just look, read their injury list. Ante Gelonche, uh, Camille Chat. Bryce Dulan, Morgan Parra, Fabian Tanconi, Luan Goujon, Gabriel Lacroix, Camille Lopez, um, Kanye Carré is out, Charles Olivon is out, Penaud's out, Fafana's out. They might have a 19 year old fly half. Now, yeah, and he might drop a goal in the last minute like yeah. um, Castanier did because yes. that's what they're capable of doing. Equally, you know, he might get charged down three times and, and, and th- you know, the game might be over. But that's, uh, look, I think it's unlikely because because Ireland are so uh, so well equipped these days that, that, that they're, they're really controlled, they're well coached, that their teams play well in Europe again. You know, they, they're not going to be phased anymore by going to Paris. So, you know... It's it's sort of it's unlikely. They're well equipped as well defensively, and they're very tight defensively, in lots of ways. Not just uh, looking after the big ball carriers, which France have got all over the place. Not understanding the fact they're not particularly quick, but they are very powerful. But they seem to have first up defence is good, scramble defence is good. So, of all the teams that 
maybe fans don't necessarily want to play at home in what is usually a good fixture when you've got your first home game. Probably Ireland's the one they don't want, actually. No, and I think the other problem that the French have got, unfortunately, actually, it's slightly ironic, this, but with professionalism, their sort of players in the French league play such a physical, strong game that actually the other sides are so fit and, and, and keep the game going right through to the 80 minutes and they've got good benches that, that France actually do run out of steam a little bit. Um, so if you're going toe-to-toe with France with 20 minutes to go, any of the, the home nation sides would probably expect to win. Well, England have what might be a tricky opening fixture away against Italy and who better to speak to than the Italian head coach, Conor O'Shea. Hello, Conor. Hi, Brian. Michel Campagnaro, Angelo Esposito, uh, Ornel Gega, those seem to be the only injury worries. Are you confident? Um, uh, listen, <laughs> Brian, but we're, we're missing Leo Sarto as well. But no, it's, it, I'm confident that we'll play well. Um, I mean, I've said to our players, there's no point being, you know, uh, lying to them if we play our best in England play their best England win our job is to play our best and that's not being defeated we're going to prepare uh, to win we're going to do everything we can to win because that's what every sports person does but what we control and it's not a cliche is our performance so we want to make sure we go and go out and fire a few fire a few shots ourselves so uh, hopefully what people will see is that there's been an improvement in the last 12 months in our franchises in the type of player coming through there'll be some Old Warriors, you know, Sergio, Alizani, maybe back for his 100th cap, Leo Gerardini, but also some some new and exciting talent. So we've got a, you know, a much younger squad now. We've got some depth and competition in some positions and uh, we'll see. We'll just give it, give it the best that we have. Can we uh, attach any significance to the far better performances from uh, Benetton in Europe? Oh, absolutely. I mean... You can't mentally. There's a, a different feel, but we also know the scale of the challenge. But uh, you know, everything that we're trying to do is implement change, and change takes time. Uh, I don't care. People can judge me on the results. That's what I'm supposed to be judged on. So I've no, no, no problems with that. But we have a job to do to turn around a, a like a big tanker here. And I think the performances of the franchises, some of the young players that you were beginning to see come through, are, are they're the signs. And that's what you look for. And you just build and build and build. And we don't have the same money to make every change that we want straight away, but we're doing it uh, hopefully systematically. And um, I'm pretty excited. And I just, as I said, I just hope that not just the old war horses, you know, we want to give them in the next couple of years, you know, some great moments to, to go to their retirement with, but also some of these young players are going to be around a, a long, long time. We've, you know, 14 of the 31 haven't played or experienced six Six Nations yet. So, uh, of our 31 man squad, so there's a lot of, I would say, just say inexperience, but a lot of youth. Well, England do obviously have great playing depth, but they've also got a great injury list, and that's made them unbalanced in certain areas. A lack of cover in the front row and. The back row composition is yet to be determined, but looks to be uneven in terms of a classic mix, whoever they do pick. What sort of areas do you think you can take uh, uh, some comfort from or what areas do you think you can attack? I think when it comes to depth, Brian, the depth that they have is huge. And I like if you, if you think back to the summer tour, you think back to Argentina, the players that weren't there, the players that were left behind and, and still what they put out in the pitch. So we know they'll try and play with massive, a real, real high intensity. 
uh, you know, I think any team is going to lack or is going to miss the, the likes of Billy or, or, or Nathan Hughes just in terms of that sheer ball-carrying force and Elliot Daly's been playing some brilliant rugby. But then you look, you know, whether, you know, people talking about Brownie maybe in or out. Well, if Brownie's not there, they have, uh, you know, Johnny May, they've Anthony Watson, they've Danny Solomona. Uh, they've still got uh, Farrell and, uh, and Joseph in the centres. They've still got T.O. coming off the bench after his injury. They've still got Fordy with, with Ben Youngs and Danny Kerr. So... When you start talking injury problems, you have to contextualise. I think when you've got depth, and that's what England and uh, have worked on, not in the last couple of years, England have worked on this for the last 15 years uh, in terms of all the structures that have brought through these young players. And I'm, I'm excited that we'll, you know, first up here, it's going to be, you know, the stadium is almost sold out, which is great. It'll be a great atmosphere, uh, but I'm excited for what... Yeah, there's, there's just a different mentality. Our guys are coming from environments where they're not winning every week, but they're being much, much more competitive, and mentally that's a huge uh, boost to them. Uh, you know, I think sport, a lot of sport is in the head. Connor, hi, it's Rob here. Hi, Rob. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm, uh, I really enjoyed the first 40 minutes at Twickenham last year. Um when you completely threw the England team um, and it took them 38 minutes to work out what they should have been doing in about two and a half minutes. Um, what are you going to throw at them this, this year? Hopefully some young fellas that they haven't seen before will be the first time they experience them. Uh, Rob, you know, what I what to me last year was I actually don't think they ever figured it out. Um, they got there eventually. We, but it took them we, a- lost, we, we lost focus in the 68th minute on the scrum. Um, and it was 17-15 at the time, and uh, it was a scrum on the 10-meter line. Not that I recorded very well, uh, <laughs> and we got and we got shunted off the ball. And, and that's the energy we talk about in matches. If we kept our focus, and actually England fair play came at that scrum, got a penalty, kicked in the corner, got another penalty. Danny Care taps and goes. Not that I've seen him do that many times and scores. <laughs> and there and there therein was the game. So, well, every moment counts. That's what I'll be saying to our guys. So you know we won't. The, the the whole I won't say loophole, but the the clarification, the law clarification means you can't uh, apply that sort of defence anymore. Uh, hopefully, we're fitter, uh, better organised now that we're a year down the road, and God, you know better than anybody what it takes to put the system together to to bring through these these players, and uh, we're, we're doing it uh, in terms of in terms of time. And I'd like to think these. Some of these young fellows will make mistakes. I could tell you the mistakes they'll make, but they're very, very talented young kids, and um, and, and we'll see what we'll see where they can progress in the coming years. Just before you go, Connie, you raised the um, spectre, so to speak, of being judged by performances. Uh, is there any target which you're held to by uh, your your bosses in terms of wins and losses for this particular tournament? Uh, listen, we, we want to go out and win every game. I think they're realistic as well on, on, uh, on the, the level of competition we have. And I listen, Brian, Rob, we're judged. Don't go into this business judged on results. I'll be judging the results, but there's also has to be some sort of reality. Uh, and I think what is performance? Because sometimes performance can look lopsided if the energy is drained from me, if you haven't been as competitive as you want to be. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we can. Um, look as the franchises have shown as, as hopefully the people that actually watched some of our games in the autumn that you'll see uh, despite the results that it was completely different to what people think I mean Argentina missed five kicks a goal against England and Twickenham um, 
And, you know, if they kicked them, could have been a very different game. We were very close. Argentina kicked every goal against us, but it was again 17-15 in around the 63rd, fourth minute when we weren't awarded a penalty under the six to put us in the lead again. Games are very close, and I think we're a lot more competitive than people think. Um, and that's what, that's what we'll be looking to prove. And I'll let other people judge, the, you know, on the results there, what those win-loss ratios they look like. All I care about is doing the right job here for Italy and making us better, and hopefully we are. Well, Connor, I think everyone agrees that it's important for Italy to be, to, to be competitive for the, the sake of the tournament. So the best of luck to you, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Brian. Cheers, Take Rob. Care. Cheers, Connor. Take care, guys. Uh, was he in a Victoria, do you think? Uh, <laughs> there, I don't know. It was interesting. Um, I mentioned the fact that it's important for Italy to be competitive, and I, I think it is. If they're not, how long is it going to be before there is serious pressure to look at an alternative uh, participant? Well, I think it's there already, isn't it? And I think... In, in a way, Connor has got a massive job to do for Italian rugby because they have gone backwards in the last ten years. There's no, there's no doubt about that. They, you know, there was a time when they first came into the Six Nations when, when they were genuinely competitive and then they, you know, they had some some big wins, um, but have never never been able to build on that. So they, they seem to have got the structure wrong over the last few years. They're trying to put that right now, and it it does take time, but. You've got to question whether whether the grassroots rugby in Italy is actually as strong as, as say, it is now in Georgia or in the past in Romania, who are also trying to rebuild. So, you know, there are arguments. You could go back to the eighties, and and Romania were were just as likely to come in. They had they pretty much beat everybody. Um, don't think they quite beat England, but they pushed us pretty close. So, yeah, I think that question is always going to be there, especially if you've got a side like Georgia now, who are capable of competing at that level. Well, very interesting that Connor mentioned there are a lot of young players and a lot of young talent because if that's come from uh, the, the system, then it will show at least that's been developed and therefore I think it's ve- it is actually very important that those players are seen and they do do well because as much as anything, as you said, if they can't demonstrate uh, that they're getting their supply right... Then it could be that could be a very significant factor, I think, because at some point, it's not just a question of shoving money into the top franchises. And Benetton have played a lot better this year. They could probably should have won at least two of their games in the uh, pool stages of the Champions Cup. But the calls will only intensify. Well, of course. Concurrent with the men's Six Nations is the women's Six Nations. And I'm very pleased to say that we can now speak to the current WASP Prop and World Cup winner with England in 2014, now retired, Claire Purdy. Hello, Claire. Hiya, how are you doing? OK. Is it as simple as saying England are the most professional and therefore they should win this tournament? Um, I wouldn't say as simple as that because, uh, as you say, from the World Cup, we've uh, got France who finished third, um, having uh, obviously England beat them in the, the semi-final. So are we one of the most professional? Um, we'd like to think we are. Um, and we have been professional, well, in the amateur sense for a very long time. So it will be um, a shame if we don't go from the World Cup and you know take our game forward again into this next Six Nations Championship. Rob and I were discussing uh, 
and it's a consistent theme throughout our discussions of all the opening fixes in the men's game that there are significant injury problems. What's it like uh, in the women's games? What is the state of fitness of, of the relative squads? Um, well, obviously, we're, it's a contact sport, so there's always going to be niggles and, and injuries. As far as I'm aware, um, from my conversations I've had with a couple of players, and England are in a good position. Um, obviously, they've got the, the girls out in the sevens, um, so they're they're away. But the, what they've aiming to do for this tournament, and obviously it's another cycle, next four-year cycle to the next World Cup. So you'll see a lot of long young players coming through, um, especially, and that was obviously following on from the Autumn Internationals, the likes of Abby Dow and, and, and obviously Waspy. But they'll be they'll be trying these new players out because this is an opportunity to do so. And what, which particular combinations are these players going to feature in, do you think? Um, you'll have, I think for the first game, if we take England, we've got Italy, which for us is always a game. Um, Italy can be quite unpredictable. So I think they'll take a strong squad out, but it'll be a mixture of experience. I think they'll take a good, strong pack. Um, then you've got Poppy Cleal, who will be... She's experienced, but she'll have. She's one of the younger ones now in the, in the, in the pack. Um, and then with the back line, you'll be looking. You'll have Nolly there with the experience, Katie McLean. But you'll be bleeding those new players into those that back line position because we've got. You know, you want speedsters on the wings and um, them to have a, an attacking run at us. Hi, Claire. It's Rob here. Um, Hi, yeah. I, I, I was lucky enough to be in, in Paris in 2014 um, when England won it. And it was one of the highlights of my time at the RFU. It didn't have that many, to be honest, but that was one of them. It was um, it was an absolutely amazing day. And obviously the World Cup last year in Ireland was a great final. And I think one of the one of the things I've enjoyed most about the women's game is just is how much sort of freedom the girls play with. I think the skill levels have been fantastic. And hopefully... In some ways, the men's game has gone a little bit formulaic over the last few years, and hopefully, the the women's game will will keep a little bit of that that freedom um, that that the girls have shown over the last few years. and And it's great to see that there are the next generation of really talented athletes. I think it, it's that athleticism and skill that I think's gone through the roof in the last few years. Yeah, I'd agree, and I think um, especially you know the way that if we look at the domestic game, so the the Tyrrells Premiership and how that's changing really how the club looks to operate and you know we're still running an amateur status but what each club are aiming to do to meet like, the RFU's um, requirements and things is bringing in the SNCs, giving players the opportunity to see physios on a regular basis, um, nutrition and just having that player welfare which is allowing these players, um, A, they'll be fit they'd be fit and physical so it, it gives them that extra step to be able to play and obviously with the range of coaches you've got your you know we've, we're lucky enough at Wasps to have Giselle Mather who wants you to play all the time and having been coached with her at Wasps and unfortunately um, for me with Barbarians as well she instills that that freedom for you to um, show what you can do give you know give or take the little bit of structure that we do have to follow but I think you'll see that in the England game as well you'll see these players being allowed that um, freedom to express themselves and, and it, it just makes it makes it for an interesting game because you just don't know what someone's going to bring uh, You raised the effect of uh, the premiership just starting I was going to do that but let me ask you this then how long will it be before we see the significant benefits uh, from this structure translated into the international team, do you think? Um, I, 
Well, we're, I mean, we're still in its infancy, aren't we? It's, mm. it's, we're halfway through for the first season. So I really think to see the benefits of where we're going with the, with the Premiership, it will probably be review it in, in, by the end of the contract. So it's three years, the, the, the first mm. phase of this review. So, um, and that, not, that nicely would bring us pre-World Cup, you know, a year out of World Cup. So I, I really think you can see the strengths in the teams that are coming in. And yes, we've got some new teams in the league. You've got um, Loughborough Lightning and you've got uh, Waterloo. But actually, we can only be developing those players, um, giving them the uh, opportunity obviously, to play against internationals week in, week out, and the internationals also to um, compete at high level. So I think it's a real positive the way the league is. Um, there's still probably some tweaks, but it will be, um, yeah, it'll be a good interest in the next three years for, for everyone in the, the women's game. And just a final question, if I might. I don't know if you saw one of the articles uh, over the last weekend. One of the rugby writers was positing um, the notion that the women's game should find their own way and stop taking... I don't know what he meant, frankly, but um, he was basically saying you're following the men's game and uh, you need to find your own particular styles and so on. Um, was he just talking nonsense? I did. I saw people did retweet that. I didn't actually read it myself. Um, so I, whether they're talking about the playing or just in terms of the structure of how the women's game is going, I, I think he was talking about the style more than anything else. The you know, style, okay. bashing the ball okay. up and getting involved in you know things like this. So. Uh, well, as a forward, <laughs> I like bashing the ball up. So um, I, I, you know, you know the odd uh, the odd step here and there doesn't go amiss, but. Um, no, I, th- I think the women's game has its own style. I think if you look at um, the kicking, the way we kick, Katie McLean, um, all of that has developed over time. And why would we... You've, you've got to take aspects from the men's game because obviously you guys have been playing it for centuries and centuries. And why would we change it too much when you know we're, we're looking to develop our own stuff, but we've got to use what we know and seen. Well, I quite agree with you. I thought it was talking nonsense. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll soon find out. Claire, thank you very much. Pleasure, thank you. I think it's fair to say, at least for me, I approach this time of year with particular relish because I know that the Six Nations will always be interesting. Uh, this year, I think it's fairly open. Can we say anything with any certainty? And if so, what? Yeah, probably that... Um the England-Ireland game, which everybody expects to be the Grand Slam decider and the last day on, on St. Patrick's Day at Twickenham won't, won't be, won't be yeah. the Grand Slam decider because yeah. Ireland will have either lost to France or we'll go and lose to... Uh, we probably won't lose to Italy, but we might we might lose in Murrayfield or, you know, who, because who knows? Um, th- those things, they, every year we look at the final round and go, oh, there we go, perfect, you know, the, the Grand Slam decider. Um, I think it is really open this year to be honest and I think you know there they may there may be a slight drop in quality there often is after the after the um, Lions tour when players have, have from the, the four home nations particularly the senior players have had a, a long season already um, the injuries are going to play a part in that as well well I mean people will be saying you know what relevance has the Lions got but I, I would just like to say that irrespective of whether you feel that you're putting 100% in, everybody does, whether your fitness scores are good, whether your GPS ratings are good, there is an overhang after lines, and some players just and some countries just don't quite cope with it as well as 
you think they might do it, and you can't tell in advance which ones those are going to be, actually. No, and probably, that, in a sense, the Irish system allows them to, to control this better than possibly the other countries. Uh, I mean, the French don't play the Lions, but, but they're playing in August in their domestic yeah. league anyway, and they, and they don't know which team to pick. So, you know, they, they'll, be, they'll be all at sixes and sevens, but it depends what day you get them. You know, if you get them on a sixth day, then they, they can be fantastic. Um, I think the Irish system allows them to, to, to manage their players better. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an area for me which is slightly concerning when you look at England's injury list and Wales's injury list. Wales possibly not with the depth that England have got, albeit the Scarlets have, have shown a way forward. Um, so that suggests that that Ireland, uh, with their system and their, their the control of their players, um, would be everybody's favourites. But they've got to come to Twickenham. Um, They've got to go to, to Paris first up. That that probably helps them, as we said earlier. Um, you know, and they've got they've got Scotland at home, and they've got um, they've got Wales at home, so they'd expect to win those games. Everybody is looking forward to the World Cup. It's it's actually quite imminent now, even though there are a number of uh, months left before we get into the final running. What's disappointing for me is that this tournament, which um, and this particular in where it comes in the cycle, should be the time when squads are trying to focus on the final 25, 26 players, trying to get them as many caps as they can so that all the combinations are thoroughly tested and tried. And yet, we're not going to see that simply because there are so many players unavailable. And in particular, if you're Scottish, as we stressed earlier, you're going to face practical dilemmas when sides actually, if you need a win, they're simply going to grind you down, and that's not ideal. Is there anything that can actually be done in the short term to try and minimise these injury problems? Well, there's nothing that can be done, obviously, now. I think the the, the, the biggest challenge the game has got is is how do you look after the very, very best player? Um, because actually, you want your best players playing international rugby. We will all still get excited about this Six Nations. Cardiff will be a light at the weekend. You know, as Connor said, Rome nearly sold out on on a Sunday in Rome. It'd be an amazing spectacle. But if you have too often when your best players are not playing, then the edge does come off that, no matter how much we talk it up. And you, you've got to find a way of, of for a sport having your very best players going to its best tournaments. It, you can't have second teams playing in tournaments, which is what some of this is showing up. And I know it's a long time ago when we played, but you know you had the same team right through the, the tournament virtually. And I don't know how... You've, something's got to be done to try and look after that. Well, in order to get the same type of management that you were talking about with the Irish system, you're talking about central contracts, and that's going to cost a lot of money. Well, it's going to. Well, it's probably not deliverable either. So, whether, whether it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you can have as much money as you like. But it's not. It's not going to be deliverable. It's, it's been discussed for the last twenty years. But but this is this is an issue here now for for the game. Um, and I know we've talked about it for, for for years and years and years. And we've sort of said, oh well, it's injuries, and we've got to build a squad. It's a squad game these days. It wasn't a squad game when we played. It was it was a fifteen man game and. 
the best 15 versus the best 15. Now it's the best 35 versus the best 35 and who can make it onto the field. It, it's just the way the modern game is um, and you're not going to change it unless you either the players play a lot less or you find ways of actually reducing the intensity. And now how on earth are you going to reduce the intensity of rugby where it's got to? You're not going to say to the guys, train less, get out of the gym. Um, it's just not going to happen. Well, let's hope it doesn't come down to this. Let's hope it's not a question of who gets fewer injuries and who manages to cope with them on the run. Let's hope that the quality of play matches the expectation. But that's what we've got time for. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with Telegraph and Nat West. Thank you to my co-host Rob Andrew and as always, my producer Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's absolutely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. And keep your eyes peeled for a bonus episode we'll be releasing later in this week from the England training camp. Rob and I will be back next week, but for now, goodbye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.